You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 28. familiar passage. Actually, Pastor kind of talked on this a little bit to some extent, maybe last week and then a couple weeks before that, Um, but the Lord was already working this in my heart. I was preparing this message, and um, you know, if we think about the word or the phrase original sin, we think about, as Pastor mentioned, the sin in the Garden of Eden, and if you Google original sin, that's what's going to come up, the sin in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve sinned, brought sin into this world. And that is the original sin that happened on this world that sent man into the the state that we're in today, living in sin and needing a savior. That is the original sin that happened on this world. Now, if you look at the world, they will take that original sin and twist that into something, you know, more towards, you know, sexual immorality or forbidden fruit, something that is appealing to them, you know, but we know that that was just Adam and Eve sinning in the garden of eating. Of Eden, and you know, by the very, but the very first sin that we find recorded in eternity, we find in Isaiah chapter 14, where we're at. We're going to start though in Ezekiel chapter 28. We'll move over to Isaiah later, and this was the sin that Lucifer committed. Remember, Lucifer, Satan, is the one who sinned first. If we look at how he sinned, what went through the mind of Satan in his fall that eventually brought sin into this world. Remember, Satan is the one who came to the Garden of Eden and enticed Eve to commit this sin. We'll see that we are all prone, and we know that we are all prone, to sin in the area of pride, as Lucifer sinned in that area, became Satan, you know, and all the bad things that have happened since that point in the world. And as Pastor mentioned last week, he mentioned that pride is the root of all sin. And pride is the root of all sin because it was the original thing that caused Satan to fall from the very beginning. You know, back in the, in the tent revival, Pastor Nolan mentioned it a few times about how pride is the greatest hindrance to revival. And that is true that pride is the greatest hindrance to revival because on so many fronts, our lack of desire to have revival in our own life Our lack of desire to do what the Lord would have us to do comes back to a problem with SELF, comes back to a problem in our own hearts, in our own pride, where we don't want to humble ourselves in an area. Sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, we have this pride in our lives that keeps us from having that revival in our hearts that we need. You know, and this pride takes... It takes different forms. It can appear in different areas of our lives individually. Each of us has a different area of pride that I'm sure we struggle with in our own life that is different from an area of pride that somebody else struggles with because it takes on so many shapes, so many forms in our life. We need to be careful. We need to ask the Lord to root out these areas of pride in our life so that we can have that heart that is right with Him. You know, Satan had a heart that was right with God at one point in his life as well. But when pride came into his heart, that caused him to have iniquity and to fall from heaven, to be cast out. So, what was the problem with Lucifer, with Satan? What was his problem? 
Let's read Ezekiel chapter 28. And we're going to start at verse 11, read down through verse 19. And here in the beginning of starting at verse 12, it talks about the king of Tyrus, but pretty soon after that, and it had that dual representation of talking about the king of Tyrus, but moving quickly into Satan himself as a allegory. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been an eat in the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets, and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee. And I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, I pray that you would just open your word to us this morning, Lord, that you would give me the words to say, Lord, just fill me with your spirit, Lord, that we can re receive from you, Lord, the things we need in our own lives, Lord, that we can address this area of pride in our lives, this root of pride, Lord, that so hinders us in our walk with you, Lord, that so hinders us in having that attitude of revival that we need, Lord, that spark of revival in our hearts, Lord, I pray that you would just convict us this morning and draw us close to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So here... In these verses, we find that there was no problem with Lucifer. Lucifer was created perfect. He was created perfect in beauty. He was created perfect in wisdom. He was the most beautiful creation that God had ever created. And he was there to bring honor and glory to God. That was the purpose of Lucifer. That is the purpose of all created beings, if I could talk this morning, is to bring pleasure to God. Lucifer was the anointed cherub. It says, thou art the anointed cherub. It doesn't say thou was the anointed cherub, which in my mind tells me thou art the anointed cherub means he still is the anointed cherub. There was no one to replace him. God created Lucifer for that specific purpose in his life to bring pleasure to God. To bring pleasure to God. Lucifer was the one who flew above the throne of God in his holy mountain. He was chief among the angels that were created by God. He was covered with every precious stone. You know, to look at Lucifer in his created state was probably blinding. I mean, obviously we know that uh, God created him with all these different stones. To look at him must have been blinding and awesome. He was the greatest angel that God had created. But you know what? He wasn't as blinding and as awesome as God was. He is God, not as blinding and as awesome as God is. And, and that... His body was filled with musical instruments. God created him with the musical instruments inside him so that he could create this music to lead the choir of heaven in song and praise to God. 
You know, and he had all these things inside him, but he was made to praise the God who created him. He was made to praise the God who created him. And it tells us what happened to Lucifer. It tells us that he was perfect in his ways, but he forgot that he was a created being until iniquity was found in him. Willful sin was found in him. And you, we would think to ourselves, what would cause Lucifer to engage in this willful sin? I mean, he, obviously he's in the presence of God. He can see God. He knows God is all-powerful. All, all the character qualities of God are before his eyes. What would think in his mind that he could be greater than God or that he was greater than God? And the real answer to this fall of Lucifer, this fall of Satan, was that he got focused on himself rather than on the God that he was serving, the God that he was praising, the God that he was bringing pleasure to. It says here in the verses in Ezekiel chapter 28 that his heart was lifted up because of his beauty. And then when his own beauty became so beautiful to himself, he became so beautiful in his own eyes that his wisdom was corrupted. So then he, he, his wisdom that God had created him with all this wisdom as well, that wisdom became corrupted and he lost his desire to continue to serve God in the manner and in the, the place that God had created him and intended him to serve. That was what happened to Lucifer here at the beginning. And we don't know exactly when Lucifer call, uh, fell. It says he was in the Garden of Eden, but it also we know that Adam and Eve sinned because of Lucifer's sinful nature, bringing that to this world and enticing Eve to sin. So turn over, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Let's look at what went through the mind of Lucifer as he fell, as he sinned in this area of pride. Starting in verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 14. Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It served up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It had raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. And they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy vials. The worm is spread unto thee, and the worms cover thee. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit, they that see thee shall, look narrow, shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations, even all of them, lie in glory, everyone in his own house. But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch, and as the raiment of those that are slain thrust through with a sword that go down to the stones of the pit, as a carcass trodden, trodden under feet. So we see here in Isaiah chapter 14 that Lucifer had an I will problem, and that was what caused him to sin. Verse 13 it says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. 
Lucifer's sin, the original sin which started the world on the path that we are in today, occurred in his heart when he thought that he, the created being, was like or better than the Creator. When he focused on his beauty, his own wisdom, his, in his own mind, he became, he thought that he could usurp God. He said, I will. I will. He had that eye focused. It was all turned to him. No longer turned to God. When we look at that and we think, what was he thinking? As we already mentioned, what was Lucifer thinking? Could he, did he really think that he could do what he said in his heart? I will do this. I will do that. I will ascend up into heaven. I will be like the Most High? Did he really think in his own heart that he did, that he could do that? And we have to say the answer was yes. In his own heart, he convinced himself that he and his pride could usurp God. And he's still thinking that today. He's still thinking that today, that he can usurp God. That even though God has said, this is how it's going to end for you, I still have a chance. I still have a chance. I can be like the Most High. And we see that he's brought destruction to this world, but his end will be destruction. As we all know, Lucifer was focused on himself, and that focus has brought destruction. In the end, though, when we see Lucifer cast into the lake of fire, Satan cast into the lake of fire, there's not going to be any remnant of his wisdom, no remnant, remnant of his beauty. You know, all the people that look at him are going to look at him in amazement, as we find in this chapter. They're going to look at him in his amazement and say, was this really the person that, you know, caused the world to go down the path it is? This is nothing like what God described him as being at the time when he was created. All that beauty that he had in him, all that wisdom that was in him. He's going to be a shell, a shallow, evil, disgusting shell of an angel is what's going to be cast into the lake of fire. Because him and his pride thought he could be like the Most High, thought he could be in control of his own life. So what is the application to us? Obviously, none of us are in the position where we, you know, are created in that beauty that Lucifer was created. We're not in that position where we're above the throne of God as an exalted being. But in our own lives, we all have that purpose that God has created for us for pleasure to Him. So how do we partake in this original sin of pride that Lucifer had in his own life? You know, none of us like to be told that we're proud. None of us like to be told that we... Um, you know, are lifted up, that we think we're better than everybody else. We also don't like to encounter those people who we think are prideful, right? We don't like to have these interactions with people we think are too prideful. You know, when somebody is extremely prideful, there's usually a conflict that arises in our own hearts, probably because our pride of our own heart conflicts with the pride of the heart, in the heart of the other person. Right? And we need to address that in their issues because this, this pride that sometimes we just, you know, we just blow off. You know, we're just used to it. Oh, man has pride. You know, that's what we have. And we just blow it off and we just take it for granted that we all have pride. And we do, but we shouldn't like it. You know, this is the, this is the sin that caused Satan to fall from heaven. And we need to think about it like that in our own lives. That when we engage in, in, in pride, in willful pride especially, you know, we are engaging in the same sin that caused Satan to fall from heaven. In Proverbs 6, when God lists the, the six things that he hates and the seventh is an abomination, a proud look is the first thing on the list. He also mentions a proud look in a couple other places. Psalms 101, verse 5, it says, Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. You know, God won't suffer a person that has a proud look. A prideful heart. God's not going to allow them to be in His presence. He's not going to allow them 
to do what they intend to do. God's going to make them low. Proverbs 21 tells us in verse 4, And high look in a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked is sin. A high look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Proverbs 29, 23, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble, humble in spirit. You know, pride in ourself, pride in our accomplishments, is something that we, we think is ingrained in us, and it seems it is ingrained in us from the earliest stages of our lives, and that's because of Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden. Our flesh is prideful. It is something, though, that doesn't bring pleasure to God. Our pride doesn't bring pleasure to God. When we allow this pride to manifest itself in our hearts, we become partakers in the original sin that Satan himself embraced. And I think part of the reason why we don't like to focus on our pride, we don't like to look at how prideful we are, is because we're proud of our pride. <laughs> we, we're happy with how prideful we are. We like to think of ourselves in the light that we look at ourselves, just as Satan liked to look at himself in the light that he looked at himself. Seeing himself as the most beautiful creation that God has ever made. We like to look at ourselves the same way in that same aspect. And sometimes we don't like to look, let the Holy Spirit look into our hearts and show us our attitude of pride because we would be surprised at what we find. And we become accustomed to that pride that's in our hearts. We become accustomed to living our lives in an attitude of pride rather than in an attitude of humility and service to God. You know, it was for His pleasure, not our pleasure, that we were created. Pride's root is all about having pleasure in our glory, in our success, having pleasure in what we accomplish rather than bringing glory to God through our service to Him, bringing Him honor and glory and pleasure. You know, this work of rooting out pride in our lives can't be done by us because we are so blinded by our own pride. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to look into our hearts, to reveal it from His Word, to show us these areas of pride, these attitudes of pride that we have in our lives. You know, as I mentioned before, we all have different areas in our lives that we are prideful that may be different from somebody else. As a matter of application, though, I just want to look at three areas that Satan it reveals to us in Isaiah chapter 14 that Satan's fall had. He had three areas. And I say Isaiah 14, I think it was in Ezekiel 28. In Ezekiel 28, it tells us what Satan was looking at. First of all, he was focused on his beauty rather than God's glory. He's focused on his beauty. Now, some of us may say right off, well, I'm not beautiful, okay? So this doesn't apply to me. I'm not focused on my beauty because I'm not beautiful. But, you know, I think in some of our hearts, we become prideful in our lack of beauty. We become prideful in our uniqueness, in our strangeness. We become prideful in these things that we do different from other people. And we take pride in that difference. And at the same time, we take pride in those things, in our oddities, rather than giving God the glory for the way that he created us. We become prideful just as Satan had, just as Satan is. Now, I'm not sure of the numbers so far 2018. I just saw a story a couple weeks ago where we had this same thing happen. But you know that from 2011 to 2017, 259 people died while taking a selfie. 259 people died while taking a selfie between 2011 and 2017. That is almost 200 more people 
than those killed by sharks in the same amount of time. So between 2011 and 2017, 259 people died taking a selfie, taking a picture of themselves. And in most situations, it was because they were trying to get a picture that they thought was going to get a lot of likes on Instagram or Facebook or something that was going to show them in a really dangerous situation so that they could potentially have glory of men. Somebody could appreciate. Now, I'm not saying that all self-taking is wrong. Okay, it's not, obviously, but you can get carried away with it, that you need to post some picture of yourself in order to make yourself feel good about yourself when people appreciate what you've posted about yourself. That is pride. We need to be careful of it. You know, in social media, just not in the selfie taking, but in social media itself, a lot of what builds social media is that pride in ourselves. Well, maybe I can comment on this person's post and then, you know, it's going to go viral and everybody's going to like my post or he's going to retweet it or something like that. You know, that what drives that social media is pride, right? It drives social media, that attitude of pride. We cannot allow ourselves to fall into this easily laid trap of engaging in social media purely out of pride and not out of remembering 1 Corinthians 10, 31. That whatsoever we eat, or, or whether you eat, therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. We still have to have that in mind throughout whatever we do, and especially in our interactions on social media, we need to remember that. Social media, though, is not the only platform for promoting our own selves. We see this in sports. Even in church sport, we see people that promote themselves as they're playing, you know, rather than promoting the team or promoting the Lord. We see this in business where, you know, people are promoting themselves as being the best worker and they like to tell everybody how good of a worker they are while they're not working. You know, they like to do that. We see that a lot. Where people like to tell, you know, they like to tell the boss how important they are. If the boss knew how important you were, he would pay you more. That is a fact. That is a fact. The boss can see who does the work and who doesn't. If you have to tell how much work you do, you're probably not doing that much work. And, but that's an area of pride that we can easily engage in in ourselves. We especially see this in politics. And I won't go too far on that. But we do see in politics we have a so-called pride movement that dictates the entire ideology of one party, right? A so-called pride movement in, in an area of sin, pride about one's sin, is dictating that movement. You know, our beauty is nothing. God created us to bring pleasure to Him. We need to remember that whatever we have, whatever beauty we have, whatever talents we have, whatever gifts we have, that was given to us by the Lord, and we are to use that for His glory, not for our glory. The second thing that Satan engaged in was he realized, he thought that his wisdom was the greatest thing in the world. And when his thoughts about his beauty came into his own heart, it corrupted that wisdom that he was given. Satan was created full of wisdom, but yet he didn't see his inevitable fall. He didn't see that, you know, because of his pride, because of his iniquity, that he was going to fall and that God was going to cast him out of heaven. You know, sometimes we like to operate in our wisdom and rather than by faith in God's plan. And that I'm extremely guilty of that. I like to sit, look at a situation and see how I can work myself out of this situation or how I can make it right without first going to the Lord and seeing how He would have me to act in a situation, how He would have me to respond when things come into my life. We like to take that into our own hands. We like to become prideful in our own decision-making abilities. We don't like to give that over to the Lord because we don't want the Lord to tell us what to do. That is pride the same as Satan had pride in his life. We like to think that we know what's best for us. But have we seen the future? Have we seen the future? Do we know what the future entails other than what's written in the scripture about the end? 
We haven't seen the future of our life. We haven't seen it played out until the time that we die. We don't know what the Lord has in store for us. We don't know what happened in the past, really. I mean, we can read history books, we can hear stories, but we don't know the past as God sees the past. How can we think that by our planning and conniving, we can make all things good, rather than relying on the one who has seen all eternity from before he created this world? He knows how everything is going to take place in this world. You know, there's no one wiser than God. No one wiser than a Heavenly Father, except somebody 12 through 21 because they know everything. I'm just kidding, but no. Reality. There's no one that is wiser than God. No one. But isn't this an area of pride, though, that I just mentioned 12 through 21 year old. The young people are tempted in. They're tempted in this area of pride that they think that they are so smart, that they are so gifted, that they got the world by the horns, that there is nothing that they can do that you know, anything anybody that can do will stop them from accomplishing their goals. It's how wrong they are to be lifted up in that pride. And I'm sure we've all been there at some point in our long lives, not just when we were in our teenage years, but also as adults. We are there all the time where we think we can accomplish anything, and we seldom look to the Lord for His wisdom. And the only way we can find His wisdom is if we're in His Word. We are in His Word daily. Make a part of our daily life that we engraft His Word into our lives. It's the only way we can have that wisdom that we need, so that we don't become prideful. You know, we look in the Word of God; it's light shining in those dark places, revealing us to us these areas that we need to change, these areas of pride that we have in our own lives that we need to give over to the Lord. Thinking man could be as wise as God, what Satan used to cause Eve to sin in the Garden of Eden, right? He came to her and said, "Yeah, here's the fruit, but this is going to make you wise if you eat this." Fruit. Eve took the bait and ate of the fruit, thinking, I could be like God, just as Satan had thought in the beginning. The last thing that Satan fell in is he, he made his favorite word, the one-letter word, I. I will. I will. You know, it's easy to tell that I am becoming too prideful, and it, when it's easy to tell that is when I develop too much of a love for the word I. When I become fixated on I, myself, then you can tell that I am becoming too prideful. Satan used it in Isaiah chapter 14 five times in two verses. He was and is completely enamored with himself. But we were, if we were to look at our own lives, how much do what we do revolve around the word I? We do focus on myself. I. You know, for, uh, former President Obama was chastised by conservatives at one point for a speech he gave where he said that the owner of a build, business didn't build it. And now he was implying that all people needed the government to help them build that business, which was wrong. But we do know that anything we do, we didn't build it on our own. We needed God to help us in whatever we did. We would be nothing without God. Without his mercy, without his grace, without his salvation, we, without his blessing, we would be nothing. We would be nowhere. You know, we know those people who like themselves. When I becomes my main focus, I lose sight of God, His will for my life, and I also lose sight of the needs of others. You can tell when we become prideful because we start focusing on ourselves. We, we can't see the needs of the people around us. We can't see their needs. It all becomes about me, 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 as Pastor preached about a few weeks ago as well. When we become the most important person in the universe, there, the, there is really no lack of evil that we will commit in order to further improve our condition above everyone else. And that's what we see taking place in America especially. Everybody's become so focused on themselves and what their importance to this 
this world is. Everybody thinks they are the most important th person. Not everybody, but a lot of people think they are the most important person. And they're being taught that in school. You are the most important person. Make yourself happy. And when we do that, there's no amount of evil that we will not commit to make sure that we are fulfilled. That is obvious. Satan and his bride became covetous of the throne of God, made statements about himself that he thought were true, but ultimately would not and could not be fulfilled. So how about us? Yeah, I believe none of us like to look at this area of pride as it really appeared to God. I, don't, I think none of us do, because God is, abhors the smallest amount of pride. He abhors it. Remember, just a problem. But before we close, I just want to bring to light something I stumbled across. Jonathan Edwards, one of the, man, the men who sparked the Great Awakening, he knew that pride was a great hindrance. He said it was the greatest hindrance to revival. He actually wrote an essay on this. He detected spiritual pride. He listed seven things in this essay that were evidences of pride in our lives, of spiritual pride in our lives, that would hinder revival in our hearts. And I'm just going to paraphrase. Um, I'm going to use the seven points, kind of paraphrase what he wrote in the essay, but um, just for sake of time, the first thing he said was, number one, evidence of spiritual pride in our lives is that we are a fault finder. And that means that it's easy for us to find fault in others, in other believers, if we are prideful. If we are prideful, it's easy for us to look at other believers and see the faults in their own life. See the faults in everybody else's life, but not our own. A humble person, though, considers himself to be the worst of sinners. The second thing he wrote, he said, ministering in a harsh spirit is evidence of spiritual pride. When we do ministry for the Lord, but we do it with the wrong heart attitude, we don't do it in the right spirit, you know, that is an evidence of spiritual pride in our life. People who are prideful, we deal, fall, we deal harshly with fallen believers. If we're prideful in our own heart, prideful in our own spirituality, we're going to deal harshly with those who fall, rather than trying to restore them. But those who are humble try to lift up fallen believers, knowing that we all could fall into sin, knowing that we all could be in the same position. Number three says putting on pretenses, superficiality, having that hypocrisy. A person who is prideful wants others to know how holy they are. They want everybody to know how spiritual they are. These people are very good about aspects of outward holiness, but unseen acts of obedience are neglected. So the unseen things are neglected, just the outward is performed. But a humble person, someone who is not spiritually proud, desires to be holy inwardly with no desire to be uplifted as the godliest of Christians outwardly. And number four, taking offense easily. Taking offense easily is an evidence of spiritual pride in our lives. When we are defensive about our own person, a prideful person will get upset and defensive when someone criticizes them, attacks them, or even during preaching that is applicable, they feel it is directed solely toward them. That's evidence of spiritual pride in our lives. When we feel that pastor is preaching a message solely towards us and, and that he's doing it because he's mean, that is an attitude of spiritual pride in our lives. A humble person, though, willingly accepts correction and affliction and conviction, knowing that Jesus suffered all manner of offenses. Instead of turning angry at the pastor or whoever is bringing this criticism into our lives, they turn to Christ instead. They turn to Christ for forgiveness and to fix those problems in their own heart. Number five was presumption before God. Presumption before God. And what is that? Presumption before God. A prideful person comes to God thinking sometimes it can be, it can be manifold that God is not able to forgive him 
or her of their sin or to enable them to stop sinning. That is presumption in our own hearts because we know that God can forgive us of sin, that he will enable us to live a life without sin, but we have to come to him. And a prideful person is presumptive in that, thinking that God cannot enable him to not sin. Some people are also prideful to think that because their sin is forgiven, they can live however they desire, with no regard for the sufferings of Christ or God's holiness. But a humble person realizes that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to take away all the sin and well the bondage of sin and rejoices in the understanding that their sins are forgiven, but understanding what great love was shown and their responsibility in return. That is what a humble person does, someone who is spiritually humble. Number six, hungry for attention. A spiritually prideful person wants everyone to notice them. They want to be the one that everybody notices and they believe everyone needs their help. They believe everyone needs their help in a situation, either with their, their actions or with their words. Everyone needs their help. That is evidence of spiritual pride in our life. A humble person believes that they are the ones in need of assistance in living a holy life. And number seven from John Edwards' essay on spiritual, detecting spiritual pride, neglecting others is another area of spiritual pride. A prideful person believes that they are important and they only pay attention to those who they feel are of similar importance. They only pay attention to those who they feel that are at the same level as them. If you're not at the same level, I don't pay attention to you. That is an evidence of spiritual pride in our life. But a humble person is no respecter of persons. So the question is, what are we going to do about our own pridefulness? Do we have any of these areas of spiritual pride in our life? Or these areas of pride that Satan had in his own heart when he fell? Are we going to embrace it? and continue to embrace it as Satan did? Or are we going to be like Christ in Philippians 2, verse 8, where he says, "He being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Are we going to become obedient? Because when we become obedient with the right heart attitude, we will be humble. If we're obedient with the right heart attitude, we will be humble. If we follow the words and the commands of Christ in the scripture, we're going to be humble if we do it with the right heart attitude. So let's not treat our pride lightly but ask the Lord to give us the humility that we need. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklay.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.